About two weeks ago, when I was in my COVID week of isolation and recovery, I found it was a perfect time to knock out the Christmas cards, doing all the labels and the stamps and signing each card and so forth. And as I was going about this annual ritual, I realized that there are like different rings and layers and levels of friendship and relationship in my life, and, and maybe in your, in your life too, on the outer ring are friends that I think about once a year when I'm signing their Christmas card. <laughs> oh, Janet, I, lovely person, wonderful person. I haven't thought about you since the last time I signed your Christmas card, and I, I may not think about you again until the next time I get around to signing Christmas cards. And then inside that are, are people that I might you know, connect with via Facebook or have some sense of what's going on in their lives beyond once a year. They might have a general sense of what's happening in my life, but you know, that's, that's sort of it. And then getting a little more connected, there are, there are those people that I see on a regular basis that, um, that I know and love and care about, and they know and love and care about me. We support each other. It's a, it's a lovely relationship, but they may not know me heart and soul. And I might not know them heart and soul, but still there's a, a lovely quality of, of friendship there. And the next layer in are those folks that have known me for a long time, they know me really well, and they still love me, you know? God bless them, right? Hallelujah, amen. They know me really well for a long time, and, and they love me. And then the next level in, uh, getting a little bit closer, a little bit more connected, are those friends who I say have refrigerator rights. Do you have friends with refrigerator rights? A friend with refrigerator rights are those friends that when they're at your house and they want something to eat or drink, they don't ask if they can get something to eat. They just go right into the refrigerator and help themselves. It's a beautiful thing. They just go in, get their stuff, because they feel that at home. The relationship is that comfortable and familiar and familial, right? It's just sort of, and there's no, the beautiful thing about it is there's no moment that you can trace when this transition happened. There wasn't a graduation ceremony. There was no certificate given saying, you now have refrigerator rights. It's just one day you looked up and there was your friend in the refrigerator and you thought, oh, that's so beautiful. My friend feels that comfortable with me and in our home that they're just helping themselves. Isn't that lovely? Now, there's probably another level of, of friendship and, and intimacy and connection beyond ref refrigerator rights, probably for the spouse or the partner with whom they have more rights than just to the refrigerator, if you know what I mean. And we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. So there's these different levels of, of friendship in my life and relationship and probably in your life too. And for me, Mary, who we just heard about, um, read by Christian, thank you, Christian, is sort of in that outer layer of friendship, right? She's somebody I think about once a year, <laughs> right around this time of year when her scripture reading pops up, when we're getting close to Christmas, and of course she plays a very significant role in the Christmas story, but then I might not think about her again for another year when we're back to this point in the story. And Mary is unique, it's sort of like, you know, signing Christmas cards. She's not only that person I might think about, like those person, people I think about once a year in the Christmas cards, she is perhaps on the Christmas card. 
This is not our Christmas card, by the way, but we see Mary uh, routinely showing up on the Christmas card, and which is interesting because we see her image constantly, but there's very little that we actually know about her. Outside of the birth narratives, which only happen in Matthew and in Luke, not in John or Mark, not a lot is said about Mary in the Gospels. She appears only four other times in four other moments and four other little gospel vignettes. In fact, there's more in the Quran, which is the sacred text of Islam, than we'll ever find in the gospels in the Christian scriptures. Muslims hold Mary, give her a very esteemed place in their religion, in their faith, and even more so in their holy text than, uh, than Christians. And one reason perhaps that we, as, as those who are in the Protestant side of the uh, Christian family, that we don't pay a lot of attention to Mary is just some straight-up anti-Catholicism, right? We, Mary, that's a Catholic thing. Mary's a Catholic. Mary is the, the queen of all the saints. She's the senior VP of heaven. Uh, there's all this Catholic devotion because we're very not Catholic, and Catholics are very Mary. We're very not into Mary which is really kind of a shame because in, in a religion that's otherwise pretty patriarchal, at least in its origins and still as it plays out today in many ways, there's this wonderful example of the sacred feminine in Mary that we have mostly just pushed aside and, and marginalized. Many people here at Virginia Highland Church I know have Catholicism in your background. And, and you may have kind of a mixed relationship with your faith of origin if you have some experience in Catholicism, but I know there are folks here who have very positive experiences of spirituality based in, in Mary, in Marian spirituality, and praying the rosary, that wonderful prayer that says, Hail Mary, full of grace. It comes right out of the text we heard today. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou, amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, Mother of God. Pray for us sinners now and at the time of our death. I mean, for how many people today, when they hear Hail Mary, think of Mary or they think of a football play, right? Or some, or some action that has a very low likelihood of success. That's what we often identify as a Hail Mary right out of football. I mean, how's that for patriarchal co-opting of feminine presence and spirituality? <sighs> well, the rest of us might not know still what to do with Mary and the whole emphasis on the Virgin Mary and, and the virgin birth is a tough one for many of us. I mean, we just don't know what to make of that. We don't, we don't talk about that very much. So let's talk about that just a little bit, shall we? The, the whole emphasis on Mary as virgin, as Virgin Mary, is based in one verse from the Hebrew Scriptures from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 12, which says, a young woman, and the Hebrew word there for young woman is Alma, will conceive and bear a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, when Luke and Matthew wrote their stories of Jesus' birth, they wrote in Greek, and so they translated the word Alma into a Greek word Parthenos, 
which means an actual virgin, a young woman who has not had sexual intercourse. But that's a bit different than the word Alma, young woman. They gave Mary an entirely different status. Now, it is argued, and it's, it's, has been argued, is still argued, that, well, Alma just means by default a virgin, because all young women naturally were virgins. If you suggested anything else about a young woman, you would be insulting her integrity and her honor and so on and so on. Well, fine, sure, but we still can't ignore the point that Matthew and Luke gave Mary a different status, not just young, but also making a commentary about her sexual experience and therefore also making a theological point, which is yours to embrace or not. I think there are some fairly troubling social implications <laughs> to the emphasis of Mary as a virgin. It's kind of a complex uh, fallout. First of all, if we talk about an immaculate conception, what does that say about every other conception on earth? Not so immaculate. And where does that leave us in terms of understanding the blessedness of sexuality? It leaves us in a pretty challenging place. Second, Mary, as Virgin Mary, as Immaculate Conception, upholds an ideal that no parent can match or meet. A mother or a parent who does not sin. Now, regardless of the conception part, if you have children, you are going to make a mistake, at least one. So this is an ideal that is impossible for anyone to achieve. Third, Mary presents this ideal of womanhood that is synonymous with motherhood. And where does that leave women who do not wish to have children or can't have children? So I think there is more to be gained than lost by going back to the original Hebrew definition and understanding Mary as a young woman and not making any assumptions about her level of sexual experience. I wonder if the most truthful thing and most accurate thing we can say about Mary is what we discover about Mary when we meet her for the very first time, when the angel appears to her and gives her the news that she has been selected to give birth to the Savior, and before she gives consent to that, we're told she is two things, young and terrified. Young and terrified. I love the hymn, Silent Night. And the moment in our Christmas Eve service when when one of, a member of the choir, I think it's Kalia this year, sings, O Holy Night, and the lights dim in the sanctuary, and we light the Christ candle, and then we switch into singing Silent Night, and we share the light of Christ around the sanctuary. We all have our candles, and we're holding the light of Christ, and there's this verse in Silent Night that goes, Round yon virgin mother and child. I think there's an accidental truth in that verse. Virgin, young woman, mother, and child. Now, the and child, we tend to think of as referring to the baby Jesus, but maybe what we're actually saying is something about Mary. She is both mother and she's also a child. Young woman, mother, and child. 
See, our greeting card images, as lovely as they are, fail to show the reality. And I know this image is really realistic and takes a minute to sort of absorb and adjust to. Here we have an image that's probably closer to any other nativity scene we might have seen recently of a child giving birth to a child outside in occupied territory among animals apart from her family who have probably rejected her with a man who may not trust her or value her given that she showed up pregnant before the wedding. And don't you just love Joseph's expression here? He's sort of like, I'm going to help, but I'm not going to look over there. And isn't that so true for us? Why don't we want to really look at what happened and the predicament of this holy family on that sacred and scary night? Sacred and scary have some relationship phonetically and otherwise, don't they? Why can't we acknowledge that? Why can't we look at the mess and the fear, the rejection, the uncertainty, and trust that even so, that the Lord was with her, that God was with them? I mean, wouldn't that give us some hope in the moments when we are afraid and our life feels like it's coming apart? Can we see the real Mary. Well, some artists, some people have tried, including here, Natalie Leonard. There's a poet that I discovered on TikTok who has written a wonderful poem, a young woman named Caitlin Hardy Shetler. And she tries to bring Mary into sharper focus with these words. She writes, Sometimes I wonder if Mary breastfed Jesus, if she cried out when he bit her, if she sobbed when he would not latch. And sometimes I wonder if this is too vulgar to ask in church, full of men with no milk stains on their shirts, or coconut oil on their breasts, preaching from pulpits off limits to the mother of God. But then I think of feeding Jesus, birthing Jesus, the expulsion of blood, the smell of sweat, the salt of a mother's tears onto the soft head of the salt of the earth, feeling lonely and tired, hungry, annoyed, overwhelmed, loving. And I think if the vulgarity of birth is not honestly preached by men who carry power but not burden, who carry privilege but not labor, who carry authority but not submission, then it should not be preached at all. Because the real scandal of the birth of God lies in the cracked nipples of a 14-year-old and not in the sermons of ministers who say women are too delicate to lead.
Mary is not only young and terrified, she's also emboldened by this experience. She goes to her cousin Elizabeth in the scripture we heard long, six months, nine months before this moment, and preaches the very first sermon, paves the, paving the way for the work and the witness that her son, her child, will be about. And in this sermon, she says, we know it as the Magnificat, she says, God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now, what's Mary saying? She's saying that in contrast to popular opinion that puts people like her way out on the edge, way out on the margins, far from God's presence, as if somebody God only thinks about very rarely, very occasionally, maybe just once a year, that no, those folks, those of us who are on the margins are actually in the inner circle and have the equivalent of refrigerator rights, of being right in the center of God's house and God's family life in God's very kitchen, filling the hungry like me and like you, Elizabeth, like everyone who hungers with good things. This is good news for all of us. God wants to know us more than just once a year, that God thinks about us far more than just once a year, and God wants to be known more than just once a year, that God wants to be at the very center of our life, at the center of our family life. God is waiting to be birthed through us. There's a wonderful poet and mystic of the 16th century who said, we are all meant to be mothers of God because God is always needing to be born. We are all meant to be mothers of God because God is always needing to be born. We're all a lot more like Mary, maybe, than we realize. We're all young compared to eternity. We're all very young. Maybe some of us find ourselves afraid from time to time. And hopefully, we all find ourselves just a little emboldened, knowing that God's eye is on us, that God's Spirit is in us, and that God's love wants to come through us, right in the middle of our messes and our uncertainties and our unknowns. Amen? Amen.